The following is an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation. Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. Now, inside the Pirate Radio studio, here's your host, Jonathan Ellerby. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast. I've had the pleasure to interact and get to know so many coaches, players, and administrators at East Carolina over the past couple of decades, and one of my favorites has always been Coach Mac McCarthy. Coach Mac has recently written a book that is now available on his website, macmccarthy.com, called What I'm About to Tell You is the Truth, or Could Be, My Accidental Career Path. His career in coaching and college athletics started when he was a student at Virginia Tech and has taken him on a ride with stops at East Tennessee State, Auburn, UT Chattanooga, VCU, Georgia Tech, and of course, East Carolina. He has coached many players that have gone on to the NBA, most famously Charles Barkley, one of the greatest players in NBA history, and even one player that starred in the NFL, Terrell Owens. Coach Mack came to ECU in 2005 and was the head coach of the Pirates on a magical December night in Menjis when ECU captured their first ever ACC victory over the NC State Wolfpack. Let's relive a little of that magic courtesy of WITN Sports Report with Brian Medor. We finally made the short trip east to Greenville, to East Carolina, to take on the Pirates for the first time in Midges Coliseum against the Pirates baseball. And they showed how proud they were and their appreciation for the big game by packing the house. And Sam Hennett showed how appreciative he was. He was absolutely on fire. The three to tie the game at 16 and at the buzzer before the half to tie the game at 38. Hennett hit for 18 points in the first half. Second half, the Wolfpack came out hot. Gavin Grant with the bucket and the foul. They scored the first nine points of the second half. Back came the Pirates. James Ligon, the Juco transfer for three and the foul. East Carolina takes the lead in the second half. 54-53. Hennett continued his hot hand. The three there. He hits for a career best 30 points. East Carolina up by five. Daryl Jenkins and the gang. They hit the free throws in the closing seconds. East Carolina beats the Wolfpack 75-69. Their first win ever over an ACC school. Mac McCarthy, he is absolutely getting it done as the Pirate fans pack the court. East Carolina, big winners tonight. I know it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. I've coached a long time in a lot of great places, and I don't think I've ever been in a building as loud as that was. It, uh, it, <laughs> there were some times where it was, it was deafening in there. And Big Mac McCarthy's earned himself an extension. We'll see. The Pirate faithful certainly agrees. Carolina, huge winners tonight over NC State. What a special and loud night that was in Menjis. I think my ears are still ringing. Coach Mack's career has been filled with memorable moments and a cast of characters from the world of sports and college athletics. I hope you'll enjoy our sneak peek into his new book and his life as the Pirate Radio Podcast with Coach Mack McCarthy starts right now. All right, welcome in to another edition of the Pirate Radio Podcast. Excited to talk to our special guest today, former East Carolina basketball coach, former East Carolina administrator, friend, and uh, now... Best-selling author is what he likes to go by. The uh, book, what I'm about to tell you is what about what I'm about to tell you is the truth or could be my accidental career path. Coach Mac McCarthy, welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast. How are you? I appreciate you having me on. That that disclaimer of a title could could apply to Pirate Radio very often. I think. Well, I I, you know I think we gotta we gotta (laughs) we gotta say it how it is, and uh, right now. 
I want to say first, I want to start off by saying uh, congratulations on the book. I was very impressed with it. I got it last week, and uh, it was one of those uh, books I, I, I couldn't put down, and uh, I plowed right through it uh, over like three or four days and uh, knocking out a, you know, a good chunk of it each time I had uh, free time. And uh, I, congratulations. I, I thought it was a really cool uh, book. I appreciate that. You know, it, it, I don't know how it really got going, but uh, – uh, it, it is nice to hear positive feedback about about any project that you have. And uh, the more I got into it, uh, the more pride I had about it. And uh, my fingers were crossed that someone outside of my family would like reading it. <laughs> well, let's talk about the process. Uh, what, when did you decide that, hey, you know, I, I have all these great stories, this long coaching career and lived in all these great places, met so many great people. Um, I mean, when did I, when I was reading the book, I, I kind of started recollecting a lot of the stories you've told on Pirate Radio over the years of uh, since we've known you. But uh, at what point did you say, hey, look, I want to I want to spend some time and, and, and put these, uh, you know, type these things up and share it with the world? You know, as I say in the book, you know, I, I sort of went into the college thing thinking that's what I was going to do. Something related to sports, but sports writing was what I had done in high school and uh, even summers in college. Uh, anytime I went home, I covered games. I, I did a little sports editing for a, a weekly paper for a couple summers. Um, I kind of thought that's what I was going to do. So there was that in the background. Then through the years, I've worked with just so many really interesting people from Sonny Smith to Charles Barkley to Terrell Owens to a lot of folks that you just haven't necessarily heard of that were really characters in their own right. And and people would always say, you, you need to write these stories down. And then I signed, I've signed a couple contracts to write books, but they were instructional books. They were coaching books. And I've written two and three and four and five, six chapters and never finished those things. Uh, but the final thing that pushed me over the edge was Bethany Bradshaw, who you all know really well, local author who's really talented. Uh, she interviewed me for a book that she wrote about Fletcher Errett, a prep school coach in Virginia uh, last summer, I guess it was now. And um, that process, and then the follow-up when the book came out, we had conversations, and she talked about the fact that she ghostwrites books, she writes on, like, consignment, she she has projects of her own, and she's done so many sports books, she said, if, if you know of anybody who wants to do something, just send them my way, and I got to thinking, you know, I'd really like to do something. Then we talked about the possibility of ghostwriting where I just talked to her and she actually writes the book and talked about the possibility of just writing the book. And I finally said, I'm going to give it a try. And then, of course, with the pandemic coming and uh, our schedule kind of shut down totally from the standpoint of, you know, not only doing games, but even watching games, everything was shut down. Uh, the timing of that was such that I gave it a try, and the writing was actually fun, and I won't say easy because there was a lot of work involved, but uh, but that part of it was, was a lot of fun. Now, once we got to the publishing part and the editing part and the layout and the design and photographs and all those kind of things, uh, it got a lot more complicated, but I'm really glad I did it. 
and I'm pleased with how it turned out. Yeah, you should be uh, proud of the finished product. I, th- I thought the pictures, the storyline of how it all laid out, all kind of came together, and a uh, l- lot of humor and uh, a lot of personal stories in it as well. How, how long did it take you to actually, from start to finish, to for the process to be complete? Well, we started in March. Uh, we sent it to the printer in August. Um, so that was the whole process. The writing, the writing of the book really, although there were some, you know, additions and subtractions, some editing along the way, the, the actual bulk of the text was done in about two months. Uh, but, you know, clearly we, we went back and forth about a lot of different things. I left out a whole lot of stories, uh, just trying to keep it in the, the range of pages that they thought in, in this type of book, this genre of book should, you know, it should be in the 200 page range. And I, I really was up to about 300. And then I also had to cut about 50 pictures, but there's still like a hundred pictures in the book. Uh, so, um, it, some things got left out that I really would like to have had in there, but Hey, if it goes really well, we'll just do book two and call it the truth. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. Are you working on the sequel? <laughs> I was waiting for the statute of limitations on some of these uh, stories to, to run out, especially some of the NCAA stories. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Coach Mac McCarthy, our special guest on the Pirate Radio podcast. I, I imagine when you uh, got my text the other day and uh, I was going to ask you to come on the, the Pirate Radio podcast, I, I imagine the, the words that came to your mind were per, probably, are you kidding me? Is that what that what came to your mind? <laughs> that seemed to be a theme I in your book. I said that a lot in the book. As I did have a lot of surprises along the way, and uh, you know, reflecting back, I, I've always known I was pretty fortunate. But when you actually put pen to pen, pen to paper, and uh, and write things down, you really realize uh, being at the right place at the right time played a big part in probably all our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start with the, the, the book. Uh, the, the forward of the book starts off with a bang. Uh, Charles Barkley writes the forward in your book, and he says he's one, you, that you are one of the most important people in his life. Um, I mean, that's and, and then the whole chapter on Auburn obviously focuses a lot on on Charles Barkley. But uh, your, your relationship with Charles uh, is is pretty cool, and uh, that's pretty awesome to have a NBA Hall of Famer, one of the best players ever, to uh, to start your book off for you. Yeah, it's, as you'll read about in the book, it's, our relationship is a whole lot better today than it was when he was on campus. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, you guys have heard the stories, but uh, literally Gene and I had to sell our house when we signed Charles and move into the dorm to uh, kind of supervise him on a daily basis. So uh, even today when we're together at, a, at any kind of gathering, uh, whether it's small or, or, you know, something, you know, a little more formal, he will point out uh, me in the audience and say, I hated that man right there. And, uh, and he did uh, for a long time. But, uh, but uh, with hindsight available and uh, maturity going on, uh, he realizes what we were trying to do, what I was trying to do in particular. And uh, my job was to kind of ride herd over him and uh, he could not be nicer. I can pick up the phone at any point in time and, and give him a call. And uh, I kind of thought uh, it, it might go the way of his, his academics. I, might, I thought he might just say, just write something. But it, it, really, it really was personal for him. He wanted to write it and, uh, and took his time to, to do that. And, and I very much appreciate him participating in it. 
Yeah, very cool. A lot of cool stories in the book about uh, you walking Charles to class and uh, him going in one door and going out the other and a lot of the stuff oh. we've heard on the radio. I mean, I imagine that, uh, you know, when you when you look back on it, you even talked about it in the book. If, if you were dealing with Charles Barkley in today's world, do you how long do you think he stays at Auburn? Does he even come to Auburn at that point with the way, you know, sports is today and, and the transfer portal and the NBA and all the other stuff that's going on? No, and, and I talk a lot about that. Charles threatened to leave all the time, and, uh, you know, it was a whole lot different. It was a lot harder, and just logistically it was harder. And uh, I, I can't tell you the number of times when Charles would barge into Sonny's office and say, I'm leaving, and Sonny would get the NCAA directory out and say, okay, tell me which schools you want me to call, and I'll call them and see if they have an opening. And uh, we would go through that process, you know, not once a month, but but certainly every quarter we were there, we had that conversation. And, and fortunately, things were way different than they are with this transfer portal because uh, Charles would have left not only Auburn, he would have left the, the next two or three places that he went also. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you had a remarkable career that you were able to coach two of some of the most famous athletes, I think, in the last uh, you know couple of decades of Charles Barkley and Terrell Owens at the same time. Who, who was the more difficult personality to deal with between those two? Well, Charles was a lot more difficult because he was, uh, you know, he was basketball first. Uh, Terrell was uh, a pleasure to coach in basketball. I can't imagine coaching him in football, and we've had that conversation, but he wasn't the best basketball player, so he had a totally different attitude, and uh, he could not have been a better teammate. He would he would compete. Uh, he was so super athletic that he could guard anybody. He could he could do special things. He challenged our guys in the weight room. Uh, he couldn't have been a better teammate in basketball uh, versus all the crazy stuff he does or did in football. Uh, but again, you know, he's a he's another guy who uh, who we've gotten closer and closer through the years. Although. He really had a good time. Their football team at Chattanooga did not win when they, he was there, and that just crushed him. He, he really wanted to win, and he loved getting the championship rings when he was with us. And He took losing harder than, than any, of the, any of the guys that, that were on scholarship and playing regularly. And you know, He played at one of his first games at San Francisco. He played a Monday night game at Washington. I was at VCU, and he asked me to come up and bring a bunch of boosters and he sat and talked with us three or four hours the afternoon of the game, something else you couldn't do today. And then uh, I was really honored that he asked me to be, um, you know, a presenter of him for the Hall of Fame and speak at his Hall of Fame induction, which he did kind of uh, unusually uh, doing it at Chattanooga rather than at the Hall of Fame with the others. If you could only pick one to go in a smack talking contest with you, who would you take, Charles or T.O.? <laughs> That's hard. That's hard. In today's uh, world, T.O. would T.O. would try to win by just being louder and uh, and more vociferous. But uh, uh, they're, they're both pretty darn good. Yeah, they are both both all stars and hall of famers when it comes to that too. Coach Mac McCarthy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your, your coaching career spanned from Virginia Tech to East Tennessee State, Auburn, uh, UT, Chattanooga, VCU, of course, ECU here. But uh, probably the one name that uh, really is synonymous with it all is uh, Sonny Smith. Um, if you wouldn't have had that fateful meeting of watching film with him in Blacksburg, Virginia, at Virginia Tech, where do you think Coach Mack is today? 
Yeah, who knows? I, I, I'm sure I'll be in some high school somewhere trying to move up from the JV coach to the varsity coach. I guess uh, that that's a really good question, and, and you know, and of course, I wouldn't have met him if it hadn't been for you know uh, just an incidental meeting with the basketball coach where I was student teaching. Uh, a guy named Chili Campbell just happened to know Sonny, um, and he's the one who kind of set up the meeting. Uh, so there, so many random things change the course of people's lives. And, and again, that's the, that's kind of the undercurrent of the book. Yeah, absolutely. It seemed like Sonny Smith was, was, was your guy that, uh, you, I mean, you, you see this a lot in coaching that, uh, you, you, your coaching tree or who you hook up with or who, where you part off on your coaching tree. But, uh, Sonny Smith was a guy that, uh, I guess was a hard worker, but, uh, was also, uh, had a great personality. The stories you have about Sonny Smith and some of his, uh, one-liners uh, in the book. He, he had to be a fun guy to work with, especially for as much time as you spent with him and then reconnected with him later in your career. Yeah, and, and Sonny was a brilliant guy, but I don't know how much credit he got for being a brilliant guy because he was just always so self-deprecating with his humor, and he, he truly was a funny guy from really rural eastern Tennessee up on Roan Mountain, uh, uh, there's not a stoplight there, uh, barely a, a flashing caution light as you as you go through town, and uh, had a different kind of upbringing himself. But uh, yeah, he was a he, he was a big big part of things. Uh, you know, not only the, the Virginia Tech thing, and then going with him to East Tennessee State, and then we ended up at Auburn, and uh, he had a run of success at Auburn. I don't I, I don't know that the casual basketball fan knows he went to five consecutive NCAA's. They have not been to five total outside of that period than when he was there. In the history of the school, they have they still haven't, even with the success that Bruce Pearl has had and uh, and Cliff Ellis being there and that kind of thing. They haven't been to five total the rest of the time that uh, Auburn has played college basketball. It's in, it's unbelievable what he accomplished when he was there. Yeah, I, I found that remarkable. When, when you when you look back into history more, I mean, of course, a lot of people think of Auburn now and, and the recent success they've had, but uh, it, it's, it hasn't always been there. And uh, when you were there with uh, Sonny Smith and, of course, Charles Barkley, and you had many other great players there, y'all, y'all really had Auburn basketball on the map in a tough time in the SEC when uh, Kentucky and uh, a lot of other schools were having a lot of success as well. Oh, the SEC was so good back then. When we got there, we had pretty good players. We had we had three Mr. Basketballs from Alabama. We had Rich Valavicious, who was a Mr. Basketball, a top 10 signee in the country from Indiana. Uh, we had so many great players, and we couldn't get out of the bottom of the league because Kentucky and LSU and Tennessee and Alabama and Georgia, Florida, they were all really good. I mean, these were, they all had Hall of Fame coaches and a bunch of Hall of Fame and NBA kind of players. And, uh, it took us, it took us till get, till getting Charles to come, uh, before we attracted some other guys like him. Um, and then all of a sudden we, we got loaded because we had, uh, we had an entire team, and even this doesn't happen today. Of course, there, there are less rounds in the NBA draft, but we had an entire starting five drafted in the NBA draft. So uh, that'll give you some indication. And still, the team that we had, that was the best team we had that went to the Sweet 16, we finished eighth in the league that year. That's how good that league was back then. 
Yeah, you won the SEC tournament. Uh, talking to Coach Mack, his new book, What I'm About to Tell You is the Truth or Could Be My Accidental Career Path. Um, I, the other East Carolina connection I found, uh, you know, always for Pirate fans that are listening to the podcast today is that uh, Pat Dye w- was at Auburn too. And so you, you kind of got to know Coach Dye when he was down there. And uh, it's just always interesting to me how the world of college athletics always, there's always uh, intermingling and crossing paths uh, as, as coaches and uh, administrators come and go yeah you know and, and we were very aware of, of coach die and uh you know had, had competed some against east carolina in terms of recruiting that kind of thing when we were at virginia tech and, and east tennessee state and uh but coach die was awfully good to us uh as a as a program and to me individually which was a a big big deal and uh Big doug smith of course transferred down there got to know doug because i was living in the dorm and uh the, the living in the dorm thing with all the football players and, and all the other athletes was, was really something because, you know, like I mentioned, you, who gets to, who gets to live in the dorm with Bo Jackson, Frank Thomas, and Charles Barkley, maybe, you know, uh, three of the greatest at their sports ever. And they were right there all at the same time. Yeah. I was going to bring up the dorm thing in a little bit. Let's go ahead and talk about it now because, uh, this should be part of the book where 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 Gene should have been awarded a Purple Heart or something for having to live. I mean, you were a a college basketball at this point. You were making decent money to be an assistant at Auburn, and yet, why were you living in the dorm? And this wasn't the only time that you guys lived in the dorm, as I recollected throughout the book. Yeah, no, we we did, and uh, you know, we we deliberately sold our house. Uh, to move in because of Charles. And then we lived there quite a while, finally built another house that we got Charles to the point where we didn't have to worry about it too much. And then, uh, uh, and then Sonny quit. So we quickly sold our house and moved back into the dorm. But, uh, yeah, Gene deserves whatever. I, I, I even say in the book, I don't, I'm not sure sainthood or, or whatever you can, whatever awards you can get. She, she deserves something pretty extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about Gene real quick. Uh, how did you meet Gene? Because in the, in the book, what you said you've been dating her since eighth grade. She says ninth grade. There's there's some dispute there. We'll probably have to go with her. But uh, how did you guys originally meet? Yeah. Uh, we, we we didn't know each other until high school. And high school in Woodstock back then was grades eight through twelve. And uh, so we met as eighth graders. And I was on the basketball team. She was on the basketball team. And and uh, I don't, I don't know if I say this in the book or not, but she averaged way more points per game than I did. <laughs> <laughs> that and, was not in the book. Was, uh, it may not have been in there, and 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 it was weird because you know that was back when they played six on six, and they had uh, the two defenders and the two forwards and the two rovers, and uh, she was a good enough player to be a, a rover, I think. And uh, but she was certainly their leading scorer, and. Uh, um, it, 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 we couldn't have bragging rights about the scoring. Now, I still say I could beat her, but uh, she might even argue with that. I'm not sure. She's sure in better shape than I am. I know that. If y'all played a game of horse this afternoon, who would win? Oh, I would. Yeah, I would. Hands down? Sure. Yeah, no, not even close. <laughs> Gene, Gene was, uh, if, yeah, I guess you, you are super lucky because if you could ever pick a coach's wife uh, based on the stories and how y'all moved and, as I said, living in the oh. dorms, um, I mean, she she was your number one pick and your, your all-star by your side, uh, along, all stops along the way for sure. Yeah, I mean, even the very, even the wedding, you know, as we go to get married, she wants to get married on Saturday like everybody else and 
Um, no, that wasn't going to happen because Virginia Tech was playing football that Saturday. And so she moved the, the wedding till Sunday. And then, then she brings up this thing about a rehearsal dinner. I don't know anything about this stuff. You know, I've never been married before. So, you know, now we've got to have a rehearsal dinner on Friday, load up and go to the game on Saturday, come back, get married on Sunday, and then take off for the honeymoon. And what she didn't know was that we were going to leave from the honeymoon and go straight to the second game, which was at the University of Kentucky. So, uh, she got to see two games, or I got to see two games the week we the weekend we got married, or the week we got married, and unfortunately for Virginia Tech, they were zero and two after that. Yeah, and I don't know if many women would uh, go to a basketball game and watch it, and I guess that it was had her water break at the game, and then a few days later she's on the front page of the paper with the entire basketball team uh, as as <laughs> your daughter's born, and so just just a lot of publicity. Some women just uh, shy away from and just not exactly looking for, especially at those uh, critical special moments in your life. Yeah, well, she was she was not uh, happy about any of it, to be honest, but. Uh, but again, you're right. She was a she was a great coach's wife. Still is a great coach's wife, and put up with a lot through the years. But yeah, she was in labor at the game. We we got home and we're sitting there watching the the local news, the coverage of the game, and her water breaks. And I didn't know what that meant, but she said, "Get the car." And and then she has a baby. And then two days later, that I'm gone again. And because uh, I guess we're we're I don't know if we're out of town. I'm not sure whether we're practicing or whatever, but uh, the team brings her home. They take her out of the hospital and they bring her home and all that's on television. And then the following day, she's on a, uh, she was like the head of the mother's March uh, for March of Dimes or, or some charitable event. And so she and Katie were on TV the third day. So uh, yeah, she was a, she's pretty much a trooper and always has been. Thank goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness for Gene McCarthy. Uh, The other thing you finally got your shot uh, to be a head coach, you left Sonny Smith in Auburn and uh, went to Chattanooga. And uh, I, I, I remember this from one of the radio shows we had done many moons ago, but I, I, it, just, it came back to the forefront again. The, the other candidates for the job was a guy named Roy Williams, who was an assistant at UNC, and then uh, NC State's a top assistant to Jim Valvano, who they had just won the national title. I mean, that was uh, that, you must have had a heck of an interview to uh, get that uh, Chattanooga job when you did. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that was pretty uh, pretty high uh, cotton right there with those guys. But yeah, Tom Abadamarco, who had who had been with Valvano, was very uh, very much on the national scene, and then Roy, who was just kind of getting started. But uh, um, I, I think it turned out fine for Roy. Tom's had several head jobs too, and uh, uh, again, I was at the right place at the right time, and that uh, that seems to be a common theme. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely a theme throughout the book. And uh, of course, you had an awesome run at Chattanooga. And, uh, you know, just from hearing your stories over the, you know, the last decade or so that we've known each other and then, but actually reading about it in the book and your connection with your players. And then you, you guys made the NCAA tournament many times and just ran into some monster teams that were just too tough to beat Tim Duncan, uh, the one of the great Kansas teams at one times, but uh, you had that magical run that was put together, and uh, you you won a couple games and got to the Sweet Sixteen, and uh, it, it just can you can you reflect back? I know you talk about it some in the book, but uh, how much media attention and just the the fun that that was during that March Madness? Yeah, I've you know we 
were used to a lot of coverage uh, in Chattanooga because we were kind of the featured team. And, you know, it was not unusual for us, you know, on a daily basis to have both newspapers, two or three radio stations, all three TV stations. It was it was fairly common for them when I got to Chattanooga for them to come to practice every day. Um, it, it was it was pretty incredible, uh, you know, for a Southern Conference team to get that level of scrutiny. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we were, you know, used to that at Auburn, too, because of being in the SEC and that kind of thing. So uh, we had been around the media, but this was a whole nother level. Uh, uh, the national folks from the L.A. Times had a guy there for a week. CBS had a crew there for the whole week. Uh, USA Today had a guy there for the whole week. And and people were in and out. It was really unbelievable. We, um, I think on a Tuesday night, we took off. We had a, a friend with a private jet flew us to Chicago, and I did a television show on ESPN with Tubby Smith and Kevin O'Neill, who had, uh, I think they had both just gotten beat in the tournament, I guess. Uh, but uh, it, we'd, ate, we'd filmed the show at Michael Jordan's restaurant, flew back in the jet, and, uh, you know, it was uh, it was pretty intense. But, uh we were on spring break, so it was really ideal for us. We we were pretty flexible, and the, and the team was very focused. But uh, we were still a little bit nervous down in Birmingham, even though that was almost like a home game for us. And but, you know, having people cheering for you because you're the underdog, and selling a whole bunch of tickets, uh, and on top of that, uh, you know, me being from there, the last time. I went to the NCAA with Auburn. We were in that same building, uh, lost a close game, a heartbreaker to Kenny Smith in North Carolina at the time. The, you know, I think that team was capable of probably going to the Final Four. But And then we lose to Providence, like we talked about earlier, uh, in a really close game and uh, missed enough free throws to have won the game. And they lose in overtime or double overtime or triple overtime to Arizona, who ends up winning the whole thing. So, that's one of those things you go back and think, gosh, what if, what if? Yeah, I thought that part in the, in the book was uh, fascinating. And just, you know, I think East Carolina fans can relate to a lot of what you're talking about in the book because uh, where you were at Chattanooga, you basically had to win that conference tournament. And uh, the, the battles that you had every year in Asheville and then later in Greensboro to to move forward to, to the NCAA tournament or have your heart broken. And uh, just another closer connection that uh, I think sports fans or East Carolina fans can connect with that one of your, your biggest rivals was Les Robinson when uh, he, he was at mm-hmm. uh, in your conference. And uh, y- y'all had two of the best teams in that conference for, for, for a long while while you were the head coach there. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, when we first got there, it was us and Marshall. Uh, they were the big rival, and they were really, really good. Uh, and then they kind of, you know, went down a little bit and uh, uh, eventually went went to the, to the MAC, to the Mid-American Conference. But, uh, but they stayed... Uh, a rival, but East Tennessee became a big rival when Les got there. They had one great recruiting class, uh, including a kid named Alvin West from right down the road in Havelock and uh, Major Gear from Chapel Hill, a couple of North Carolina kids to go along with some other guys. Um, and then uh, we had a stretch where they won the tournament or we won the tournament for eight consecutive years. One of us was the representative in the NCAA for the Southern Conference. It was really an incredible run and uh, an incredibly intense rivalry, which which, uh, still goes on. Uh, East Tennessee left the Southern Conference and went to the A-Sun, but they have since come back, and that rivalry is renewed. And 
one of the good rivalries that uh, that you have in college basketball and college football too. I thought one of the cool parts in the book when you described that uh, when you were the head coach at Chattanooga, not only do you have to be you know the X's and O's guy, but uh, you kind of got to run the business side of it too with uh, the budget. And uh, you you actually did a deal with Asics as your shoe sponsor at one point, which uh, would basically be unheard of today because of, of who the big players are. But uh, you were able to do some things and had some relationships with some uniform companies that uh, I thought were kind of thinking outside the box and being creative, and I think probably uh, helped you uh, with. A lot of your success while you were the head coach at Chattanooga. Yeah, we we did have to do some things. We we were strapped financially uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, not so much when I first went there, but as things went along, and uh, it's just a natural evolution at, at a small school where um, you know football is going to lose a million, two million dollars a year just because of the way it's structured at, at that level. Um, so we had to we had to compete every year for the title to make up that money, but um, but it was tight. Anything we could do, and the the shoe deal was very interesting because uh, there was a lot of competition. Asics actually made the first basketball shoe specific to basketball way way back in the day, but they weren't a player and aren't a player anymore. But uh, they tried to be, and everybody was trying to get into the shoe business at that time, and they were really good to us. And Sports Bell. Uh, was a, a big deal and sports bell was a big deal here at east carolina for a long long time I, I see the picture all the time of george bush when he visited campus in the baseball jersey which was a sports bell baseball jersey sports bell was a small pe uniform out of knoxville and they tried to go big time and did for a long time and did a great job and uh, we had a we were the first men's team to go with them and um, that was a huge savings to our budget you know to get free uniforms and uh free practice gear and that kind of thing. And then we had the ASICS deal on top of that. So, yeah, we were creative, and uh, it worked out really well. And, of course, all that uh, means a whole lot more when you can continue to win uh, championships. Yeah, I heard uh, one of the humorous parts, I think, when you first got a Chattanooga in, in the book, talked about uh, you, you and the chan- the chancellor's wife uh, wanted to have a conversation with you. Evidently, <laughs> uh, evidently, you were using some non-radio friendly words uh, when you were coaching the team, and I guess her courtside seats could pick up on uh, Coach Mack's conversations uh, with the players and officials and stuff during a game, and you had to maybe tone it back a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, whether I did or not, I don't know about that. But the uh, um, as the year first year ended, and the AD calls me in, he says I've got to have a you know review and go over your job performance and that kind of thing. It's mandatory that I do that. And he said, hey, everything went great. I'm really happy with what's going on. He said the only thing I have to do is the chancellor's wife, Trisha O'Bear, has sent word that I should have a conversation with you about your language. She wants you to uh, understand that uh, that you, she thinks you're more intelligent than that and can find a more creative way to express yourself. Uh, and I <laughs> said, well, I'll, I'll certainly take that under advisement, and uh, I may have failed to live up to her expectations of me, uh, but uh, she was a great lady, and Dr. O'Bear was a great guy, and uh, but uh, but another thing that uh, that happens along the way that I felt like needed to be in there. Absolutely, and they also used to keep up with the number of times you got ejected there. I guess that was like a like a cool like it was like instead of like you know like a Buckeye helmet sticker. I guess they put like a little sticker somewhere where they would uh, keep up when you would get uh, tossed from games. Is that correct? Yeah, not tossed from games. Just every technical. Uh, okay. Fortunately, getting tossed from games it didn't happen too often, but. Uh, uh, and I think it happened three times in my 
40 years, 30 sub years of coaching. But, uh, but no, every technical, they did, they did a football helmet sticker and they put it on the court right there in the coach's box. And once we got to a dozen, I said, guys, this is, a, it, it went from funny and uh, clever to uh, embarrassing now. So, uh, during the Christmas holidays, we, we got those off of there, and I did try to tone that back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, how would you say your relationship with the, the officials were over the course of uh, your coaching career? Well, it, it, it was pretty much antagonistic uh, the whole time, but uh, you, you come to respect them, and they come to respect you if you're doing your job and not making it personal. And, and now, certainly, uh, a lot of those guys are, are really good friends from, from Mike Wood and Ted Ballantyne to right here in town to Ramey Steins and Bobby Pennington and Frankie Bordeaux and, uh, you know, uh, just so many really good folks in that industry. And I tell them all the time now when I'm sitting on the other side doing the games, they're a whole lot better from that other angle. And I make sure I bring that up to them every time. <laughs> You're not as focused on them and breathing down their <laughs> neck. Is it, was there ever, a, was there ever a time after a game that you was like, uh, maybe I need to get that guy's number and give him a call. Uh, yeah, I have, uh, I have verbally chastised some guys. It was a guy named Don Ferguson who actually was an actor too. He, he appeared in a bunch of movies and he was a long time SEC guy and, we had a game at Kentucky where he, uh, where uh, I thought uh, he probably was a little bit unfair to us, or maybe uh, bent over backwards for the home team a little bit, and uh, and we just happened to be going down the same hallway toward the locker rooms, and and I expressed my opinion, and uh, he wanted to take it outside right then, which I would have been happy to, but. Uh, Thankfully, calmer uh, calmer heads uh, prevailed in that situation. It probably wouldn't have ended well for either one of them. That would, that would have been a better chapter in the book somewhere. But uh, thank goodness, <laughs> thank goodness that didn't happen. I guess for your sake is what you're kind of saying, Coach Mack, our special yeah. guest. Well, his new book, uh, "What I'm About to Tell You Is the Truth or Could Be." my accidental career path. Of course, uh, how I got to know you is uh, when you ended up here at East Carolina and uh, some, some memorable moments. You had some good wins. Uh, East Carolina, obviously a tough place to coach basketball. Everybody will remember that December of 2007 when the uh, Pirates got their first ACC win over, over NC State. And uh, you talked about uh, how loud Menjis was that night and uh, what, just what a special moment that was uh, in your coaching career here. Yeah, it, it was a great, great win. And, uh, you know, when you, when you think back through your career, you think about, you know, big moments and, uh, big seasons, but, but the individual games too. And that was, that was, a, an incredible game. And, and, and you also, and I was certainly mature enough at that point to really understand the significance of it in terms of, of how many people, uh, that really meant a lot too. And, and I still get that from different people here in town. Uh, there are some people who mention it every time I see them and, uh, and what it meant to them uh, as an individual to, to have that great night in, uh, in Menjis. I wish we could have had more of them, but uh, uh, it's really been great, you know, living in Greenville, coaching at East Carolina. Uh, this is sort of my ideal. I had a lot of success at other type places, but, uh, it's so much like Virginia Tech in terms of uh, being a college town and large school and, uh, you know, football kind of driven and then the same at Auburn and the same here at East Carolina. And uh, uh, we've lived here uh, in this spot other than where we grew up. Uh, Gene and I have lived here longer than we've lived anywhere else in the country. And uh, uh, 
Um, it, it's it's a fun place to be, and uh, I, I like the attitude when when everybody in town sort of relies on the the university for something, either the, either the way they make a living or their entertainment. Uh, but uh, they ha- they are invested a little bit in the local college, and uh, I I love that atmosphere. One of the uh, people you talked about in the East Carolina portion of your uh, book was uh, Walter Williams. Uh, what did your relationship with uh, Walter and Marie Williams uh, mean to you guys uh, while y'all have been here? Well, they, they were just so supportive, as you know. That that would be an understatement, uh, not only of, of me, but the, but the university. And um, gosh, I, you know. What an unassuming, what an unassuming guy, what an unassuming couple. And, you know, I can't tell you the number of uh, breakfasts we've had down at Yoder's and, uh, and just having, uh, you know, great conversations and uh, getting to know them personally, uh, even more so after I stopped coaching. But, uh, um, you know, Walter would give a lot of opinions. And, uh, and you know, I, I'm going to leave people out when I start talking about them, but they, they were so much fun and, more recently, Parker and Becky Overton have been so great to us, you know, going to races or, you know, hanging out at the beach or whatever. And uh, just so many fun people, uh, you know, that are here in Greenville that are dedicated pirates that that make working at ECU fun, but also make living here in Greenville fun. Absolutely. Now, I knew you were a NASCAR fan, but uh, you, you got hooked. You mentioned, I mean, you've told the story before. You got hooked on it when you were at Auburn, when you went to Talladega. And then uh, you, you just, from there, I mean, you became like one of the biggest NASCAR fans that is out there. And, and I had no idea, and maybe you've told this story before, but on Selection Sunday, the year you guys go to the Sweet 16, you flew to the Atlanta race and then flew back in time to be on television and be with your team during selection that's just insane that's just like now atlanta's not that far away but i mean that's just kind of that i guess that would be like you going to the charlotte race if he if, if greenville was you know and then flying back to greenville to be you know for selection sunday what was that day like i mean that had to be like you had to be super proud of what, what was about to happen that afternoon but you still went to the nascar race with a great friend of yours yeah, my car dealer at the time, a man named uh, Herb Adcox, uh, had a had a condo there and uh, uh, was a big fan and a very good friend. And uh, we, we actually drove down in the morning and uh, spent the whole day there. And then it got close to a time where I had to get back, so he had a he had a jet waiting. And there's a there literally is an airport right off of. Uh, what is now turned two. Um, so we, he had a golf cart ready and we jumped in the golf cart, went over there, flew back. And, uh, there happened to be a big red flag. We actually didn't miss any of the race by the time we got back to the, uh, to the sports bar that we were having the, uh, the uh, party at, uh, the, the race was just coming back on. So we literally didn't miss any of the race and got back in time for the, uh, for the NCAA tournament pairings, uh, show too. So, uh, yeah, we combined two passions in one day, which was really pretty cool. Absolutely. And, and the one other big passions that is uh, portrayed throughout your book, and of course, if anybody knows Coach Mack, you love barbecue. And uh, you, you, you're, you're, you're willing to give it a run and try it wherever it is. And you've eaten at some of the greatest barbecue joints all over the South and maybe all over the country. And uh, you have a lot of great plugs, including for our friends at Parker's Barbecue and, and Sam Jones Barbecue here locally. But uh, you, you've eaten at some many great places along the way. 
Oh, yeah, and I'm, and I'm an equal opportunity offender when it comes to barbecue. It doesn't matter if it's eastern North Carolina, western North Carolina, Memphis, Kansas City, Texas brisket. It doesn't matter. I uh, I enjoy all of them, and, uh, and it had to have a place in the book. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it, it made me hungry at times when I when I was reading it of uh, some of the places <laughs> talking about the ribs and uh, all the other stuff uh, that, that that you love. Some definitely some great places that you've lived in. Well, I guess one of the prerequisites is that you live that they have great barbecue wherever you live, and that seems to be part of the theme of where you've coached. Yeah, and I didn't grow up with it. You know, I didn't know anything about sweet tea or barbecue, but starting in Johnson City, and then we picked up steam in uh, in Auburn. And uh, since then, I've been nonstop, unfortunately, for the, for my waistline. But uh, but I have sure enjoyed it through the years and still do. Coach, can't uh, wrap up the podcast without uh, really talking about you're in retirement now. And, of course, the, the apple of your eye, your daughter, Katie, is uh, yes, what you spend a lot of attention on her these days. Uh, how's Katie doing, and uh, how's retirement going for you? Well, Katie's doing great, and it's fun to see her grow into the young lady that she is. She's doing what she wants, and uh, she went back and got a master's, and she's an architectural historian up in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And, uh, of course, we haven't been able to see her much or as much as we'd like to with uh, all that's going on, but hopefully that'll improve as we go forward. And uh, the retirement uh, has been quasi-retirement because I'm – I'm still doing, you know, 35 to 50 television games and uh, doing a lot of radio appearances. I do a, a weekly show in Chattanooga still after all these years. And uh, uh, we find some ways to stay pretty busy. Um, I'm looking forward to, to, you know, getting on with it and cranking out book two here anytime. I think Jean should write book two about you. <laughs> How about that? Throw that out. How about her perspective on uh, Coach Mack? The, not the accidental truth or the accidental career path, but uh, just maybe y'all could collaborate, collaborate stories on the, on, on the next book. Uh, yeah, let's, let's avoid that. Coach, uh, great job with the book. Uh, Coach Mac McCarthy, what I'm about to tell you is the truth or could be my accidental career path. You can uh, get his book at MacMcCarthy.com, uh, and you're signing these books before you uh, ship them out. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, we can't have a book signing or anything, so I just made that a part of the the website. And if you want it personalized, all you got to do is let me know. And uh, I have, uh, I literally have carpal tunnel. I've signed a whole bunch of books in the last week or so. Well, uh, keep up the good work. Uh, I, I enjoyed the book, and uh, it's a fun read. It's a it, you, you're, if you know Coach Mack, or if you don't, I think you'll uh, get to know him in this book. And uh, lots of fun, some great tales, some some funny stories, and uh, some good one liners. The the Sonny Smith one liner I liked is uh, he said. <laughs> He said, "We live so far out in the country that we had to go to town to go hunting." I thought uh, that was one of one of my favorite ones uh, that you had of him. But I'm sure that there's many more in the book. But I'm sure there's many more that would be good for your second book as well. I appreciate it. I'm glad you had fun reading it. That was the whole point. Coach, I'll talk to you soon. Stay safe. Thanks, Jonathan. Hey, thanks to Coach Mac McCarthy for joining me today on the Pirate Radio Podcast. Read more fun stories about Coach Mack's career in the world of sports by getting your autographed copy of his book, What I'm About to Tell You is the Truth, or Could Be, My Accidental Career Path, at MacMcCarthy.com. I really enjoyed it, and I think you will too. We'll be back very soon with another edition of the Pirate Radio Podcast. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in the Apple Store. Visit our website at PR927FM.com and follow us on social media 
at PR927FM to keep up with the latest news and information. Have a great day, everybody. You've been listening to the Pirate Radio Podcast, an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation.